Welcome to the Cultivating Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Schultz. Today we have the third part of our four-part series from our Congregation Leadership Summits. This one is a breakout session led by Pastor Steve Benson of Eastern Heights Lutheran Church in St. Paul. Steve uh, is going to be sharing about the seasons of discovery process that his congregation is in the midst of. Uh, This is a process that um, is part of of what Dr. Terry Tiemann does with Transforming Churches Network, and it's designed uh, for congregations to discover um, how they can find new ways to reach their community with the gospel message. Um, You'll you'll find this to be uh, an interesting, about an hour or so long breakout session, and um, and like Steve says at the end of his uh, presentation, uh, let him know if you have questions. Um, some of the best ways to learn about these different programs and processes are by talking to the people who are doing them, and I'm sure he would love to share with you and uh, talk to you more about uh, what this process has been like for his congregation and in his ministry. So here's Reverend Steve Benson. Um, I want to get started by finding out a little bit about uh, who we all uh, are and, uh, and who we have in the room. Um, how many of you would say you're from a suburban kind of a church? All right, suburban. All right, how about more urban or city church? Okay, all right, anybody from a more rural setting? No? Okay, so we're kind of urban and suburban folks here. How many of you are maybe uh, from a church that's about 50 people or less in worship? Okay, maybe between 50 and 100? 100 to 150? Okay, 150 or more? Okay, all right, so we've got a little bit of variety uh, in the room. Uh, My name is Steve uh, Benson. I am pastor at Eastern Heights Lutheran on the east side of St. Paul. Um, I grew up in Wisconsin and then in Missouri. I served churches in Sioux City, Iowa, and uh, then uh, at Eastern Heights first as an associate and then as a a sole pastor. And uh, now as a senior pastor, we have an associate pastor, uh, Chuck Fenton, who serves with me now. Uh, In my family is Stephanie, who is a preschool teacher at our uh, Open Arms uh, Child Care Center uh, at Eastern Heights. And we have four daughters and one son and a daughter-in-law and our first grandchild, Uh, born Monday, so we're very blessed. Thank you. Um, Through my years, uh, looking back, sometimes you you get a little insight, and uh, and last year did some reflection. Uh, 2016 was really the, the worst year of my life. I don't know that I really realized it so much at the time, uh, just kind of moving forward, but we had a lot of uh, things. We had the extraordinary stress of our 19-year-old daughter uh, being diagnosed and treated for cancer. Uh, The same day as her first surgery, my mother in Missouri was undergoing open-heart surgery, 
And there were just lots of other ordinary, more ordinary uh, stresses and, and changes uh, uh, in our life, and, uh, and not the least of which has been the continuing challenge of, of leading a city congregation, 70 years old since our, our founding, that is aging and in many ways was a dying uh, congregation. So uh, some days, uh, hope was in very short supply. Uh, some days, it was hard to really even care about the mission and vision of ministry. Uh, but from 2016 to, to now, God has done amazing and merciful things uh, for me and for our family. Um, for our Eastern Heights Lutheran Church family. And so much of this intervention for me came through uh, those heroes uh, who just happened to be the right people at the right time. Uh, for our family, you know, it was, it was doctors and medical people and it was friends and it was uh, brothers in the ministry, was, uh, our president, Natasty. Um, and unexpectedly, the guy that we heard this morning came into my life, uh, Terry Tiemann. Um, the key for starting and continuing the seasons of discovery process that I want to walk you through a little bit today um, the key for me uh, was personal leadership. And, uh, and that uh, whole chapter on personal leadership in your Hinges book uh, gives a case study and a story of a pastor that was toast, was, was burned out in many ways, and uh, he talked about uh, the, the challenges for uh, personal change, to adapt to new and challenging circumstances, and uh, really just to, to uh, get and to, to remain healthy. Um, so leaders, you and your church, um, you know, are on your, uh, your own particular uh, journeys as well. That was just a little bit about how I uh, came to this point of, uh, of jumping into uh, seasons of discovery and what that has to offer. But the thing that we need to remember is, you know, you might have that opportunity to be a hero for somebody in some situation or, or some place. Um, and uh, your congregation, you personally as a, a leader in whatever role that you play, um, your life is not a fool's errand, but it's a, a hero's journey. That's a quote that, that Terry uses in his book. Um, the eternal life of people who do not know Jesus uh, is at stake. And um, that's really the motivating factor for me. So we jumped into seasons of discovery. And the, the method that I'm going to take right now is to spend a few minutes with this, uh, 
basic PowerPoint. This is right from Transforming Churches Network. And, uh, and I'm just going to tell you what we mean, really, by seasons of discovery. So there's four slides on each one of these uh, pages. And I want to just introduce you to this whole process. And then, after we briefly do that, I'll give you another handout that will kind of just give you a case study of how we implemented it at our congregation uh, on the east side of St. Paul. So if you look at the first page, um, the overview is there, the what, seasons of discovery, what is it? In the lower right-hand corner, it is a stepwise church transformation process. So it, you know, it, it doesn't happen overnight. It's designed to go you know, two or more years. There are, are four seasons in the program. Um, uh, so, um, it, but the, the whole point is to engage your community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, so that is why it is important it, to uh, carry out our mission. If you look at the second page, I highlighted a few things here. What will you discover through the seasons of discovery process? Uh, people uh, in your community are looking for hope, the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do in the community, and people within the congregation who have a passion for reaching the lost. If you look at Terry's book, uh, People of Passion, um, that was one of the first steps that we did was to find some individuals in our church family that, that had this passion for reaching out to other people uh, with the gospel of Jesus and, uh, and then uh, starting to, uh, to train and, and utilize their gifts. Uh, more discoveries, the second slide on the top, God's unique vision for your church. The things that I'll share with you that we've done on the east side of St. Paul uh, may not, you know, maybe things you've already done or tried or, or things that would never work in your setting, but uh, uh, through this process, we have discovered at least some things that work for us. Uh, joy and excitement from living out that vision in your community, and the eight hinge factors that open doors to your community. And Terry spent a lot of time talking about those, so I will not. The bottom of the page, you have them listed there, but I just told you my starting point and, uh, and, the, and the most important thing for me to make this um, all that it could be is for me to attend to that personal leadership right at the very beginning. And uh, next page, the report. I don't know how familiar uh, you are. Have any of you taken the, um, the survey? Uh, there's a congregational survey. Um, and we did this uh, a little over a year ago, I think. And um, we had a number of people in our church did the, the, uh, the survey, and it gave us a report that um, gave us a picture of where our church stood in, uh, in this. Each season uh, includes personal coaching tools, sermons and Bible studies, 
uh, outreach activities. So over lunch, I was talking to somebody here, maybe Steve was there, we were talking about um, the, um, the things that we receive from this and, and why it's important to uh, uh, find some kind of a structure like this. Seasons of Discovery helped me to organize what needed to be done. Uh, very little of this was stuff that, you know, was just like a, a light bulb moment. Well, I didn't know we should have community outreach activities. Well, of course, you know, you know that you need to do these things, but this structure has provided for our church um, the accountability and the organization to, to keep at the right things and to get our whole church family kind of focused and on the same page with this. We've been doing these, you know, Bible studies or sermon series kind of twice a year at least that focus into the uh, um, themes that, uh, that will, uh, will lead us into the next part of our outreach. Uh, each season equips three groups, pastor and staff, and our associate pastor and our DCE also uh, sit in. Uh, they're part of the kind of the, the coaching sessions that we have with Terry uh, over the phone each or Skype over uh, each month. And um, then uh, we have a, a mission-minded group, this People of Passion, just kind of a new group we pulled together to, to kick this whole process off. And then the entire church uh, through the Bible study materials and the the sermon series. Next page has the timeline of the seasons. Churches have two blocks of time in a year to work. Um, the fall season, Labor Day to Thanksgiving, and, and winter, spring. Um, this year we did a series right after Christmas, and then we transitioned into something else for Lent. And now, uh, post-Easter, we're doing the natural evangelism or natural storytelling, as we're, we're calling it. But uh, throughout the year, it hasn't been real disruptive in terms of saying, well, you know, we, we miss the Christmas season or the Advent season or, or, or the Easter season. The festival kinds of parts of the church year are, uh, are sort of, uh, you know, left alone, and we... Uh, focus our work uh, in, in some of the other times, the natural windows, he calls them. I talked about the equipping for the pastor, the skill builders is another uh, book with just lists of ideas of things that we can, can work on. Um, I talked about the coaching a little bit there, so uh, that's an important part of the process. The next page should be sort of an overview of two years plus. Where does the coach come from? Hmm? Where does the coach come from? Uh, well, Terry Tiemann is coaching me. Um, the vision for this, I think, if you talk to Phil Johnson and our district, is that uh, additional coaches would be developed and, and deployed as needed if we have other churches that are, are going through the process. So. All right, the next page is the uh, entire um, Seasons of Discovery map. 
Season one is the season of preparation. You uh, kick that off with a series, a new season for your church. And that was, I think, real uh, kind of uh, hope-producing in our congregation. Because, you know, after a number of years, you feel like you're just, you know, doing some of the same things over and over again. And uh, so to be able to feel like we're moving into a new season that was going to help us move from this kind of natural, after 70 years institutionally, our church has settled into this inward focus. And uh, to, to start looking outward uh, provided that hope. Uh, motivation for mission, leadership, um, the Hinge assessment survey, we did that in season one. Season two is the season of visioning, building bridges to the community. Um, this is where um, we uh, brought Terry in for a weekend last October, and uh, we had a Saturday workshop. We had 30-some folks, leader types in our congregation, interested folks that wanted to to move this ahead, and we worked on our mission and vision together and uh, sort of revised those statements for our congregation all in a, in a Saturday workshop. We had a, a small group that came out of there that did a little more finishing work on that, and we were able to, uh, to roll that out. Um, season three is the season of outreach, and that's... Uh, We've entered into that season now. That's what our church is, uh, is in right now. And then season four is uh, empowerment. And so we have that uh, coming up next. So that just gives you an idea of, uh, of how the, the seasons of discovery are organized. Um, the next page, equipping for the people of passion. Um, We've, we did the prayer walking, the community surveying, the vision day. Um, what happens in each season is the next part of this, and it just goes season by season. I'll just give you a few highlights as we go through. Gather and equip people who are passionate, survey, introduce the process, pray about the process. Um, and uh, when we did uh, prayer walking, we've got a number of elderly people in our church that are, are maybe physically not able to do that, but we would gather, and, and some of those would just stay in the sanctuary for an hour uh, and pray while the other groups went out and, and walked some of our blocks, uh, you know, for praying. Uh, season two on visioning, the uh, highlights that I looked at on that page were... Um, the um, visioning team, uh, and uh, we uh, were able to gather folks together to, to work together on that. Got ready and did the visioning day. Um, outreach is the third season, and that's what we're in right now uh, at Eastern Heights. Some of the actions on the next page, uh, Living a New Vision sermon series, we did that. We're into the natural evangelism right now. Um, and then season four is the empowerment one. And we just even kind of on a staff level, we are working on some specific things for empowerment. So before we end, um, I'm going to 
share with you just an example of a couple of uh, tools that we developed in our uh, empowerment that might be uh, more practical to talk about. Um, there is a season five, apparently, uh, I don't know a lot about that yet, but discovering how your church can adapt and meet the future needs of your community, uh, how to be missional in a post-church culture, and uh, so uh, that is a Terry Tiemann thing, but we might find out more about the possibility of, of what our follow-on will be after we finish the season four. Um, but that is just straight from Transforming Churches Network, and this is uh, the way Terry explains what Seasons of Discovery is. I think what I'll do now is um, give you a handout that will uh, show you how we implemented this so far in our church, okay? If you want to cut me out with that, Dan, that would be great. Can you say more about the vision day? How did you do that? Yeah, we uh, used a Saturday, and uh, we got uh, folks uh, lined up in advance that were willing to, to spend a day uh, working with, uh, with Terry on this. And uh, one of the most important things that happened is we uh, kind of gathered people together based on their interest and expertise and uh, uh, area of ministry and um, came up with four target groups that, that we felt we were reaching to some degree or felt called by God to be reaching so that uh, we, uh, uh, you know, then built out from, from those target groups toward what our strategic plan might be toward reaching those target groups. And, uh, and so uh, Mission Day, uh, then Terry stayed over and uh, uh, preached the next day so that the entire congregation, not just the leaders that came to that uh, event, got to hear him and just a little bit of a signal that something new and different is happening here for us. So that was Vision Day. Yeah. Yes, Keith. Steve, a couple questions. Uh, so with the congregational survey, who did you ask to do that? Did you just like, uh, was that sent out to the whole congregation? Anybody could do it, or where did you ask? It was actually made available to everybody. Uh, you know, we, we specifically asked our elected and appointed leaders and so forth that uh, we made it clear it was important for them to invest the time. And uh, most... <laughs> Most everybody, I think, did it online. We had maybe a few older members that didn't have internet access, and we had to enter some things in for them. But uh, yeah, yeah. Thank you. And then how about, uh, so several of our leaders are here today, and we've been talking about this for the last couple of months. How did you like introduce this to your congregation the most winsome way? Did you have a couple of that? Well, the, yeah, I guess I can. Um, this Seasons of Discovery was sort of, uh, you know, born out of a need for us to, uh, to follow up uh, from our uh, a capital fund effort. 
that had, you know, we started planning for it in 2015. We were hoping to launch it in the spring of 2016 and, and were not able to until October of 2016. It was the uh, 70th anniversary of our congregation and um, we used uh, outside fundraising company uh, Enjoy Stewardship to help us plan the stewardship uh, drive. And so we, uh, we did that, and the, the theme that we came up with was set free, and uh, used a, a Bible verse uh, from Psalms, O Lord, you have freed me from my chains. And the, the major part of the capital fund effort was... Um, continues to be to, to dig our congregation out of debt. We had a, a, a mortgage to pay off and then to address some deferred maintenance to continue in our location. We you know, need to put some major dollars into to our, our roof and on our parking lot. So those were along with some other more minor projects. So we had this uh, three-year capital fund effort that we launched and that you know culminated with this big event in October of 16. We had Jake Gillard there was our guest mission preacher and uh, we uh, you know did all that but then we kind of said well now what do we do next? You know we've done the kind of the financial part of it but what about the the spiritual part of it? And so uh, it just so happened that summer Phil invited me to go down to Seward, Nebraska for um, a, a workshop that Terry did about the seasons of discovery. And as soon as I heard that, I just felt like that was the, the follow-on that we needed for that in our church. And so um, after our, uh, our campaign celebration was completed in uh, October, November of 16, then right away in January of last year, we uh, launched the Seasons of Discovery, but in our church, since we had already invested a lot of uh, branding to say, you know, that for our set free uh, stewardship campaign, we said, well, now we're just from there, we're going set free to dream. And so we rebranded Seasons of Discovery as set free to dream. So in our congregation, we haven't talked about the seasons of discovery, people know that's the basis underneath it, but we uh, you know, just talk about it as our set free to dream uh, uh, initiative. And uh, so it's to revitalize, turn our eyes outward. Uh, that's our, our second phase. So uh, we did the opening um, sermon series and Bible study, a new season for our church. Uh, to be set free, to dream about how, after 70 years, God might still use our congregation in our community uh, to his glory and to the eternal good of some people. So um, we went into the survey, then that was February, March of, of 17. We had about 50 people that responded, and uh, we found our key uh, hinges um, and uh, empowerment is the one that we really wanted to work on and, and that really showed up in our survey. Uh, the People of Passion group started uh, last February um, and uh, 
the season of visioning. We continued in the spring then right after Easter last year with the building bridges, sermon series and Bible studies. And that started getting people thinking about the bridges that we were building out into our own community. And uh, we had a number of community outreach uh, activities through the summer and so forth. And um, then of course we, uh, we did our vision day in October of 17. Um, and then this year, um, we are starting the, uh, the Living a New Vision series, January and February. What we basically did was we took that, the mission and vision statements that we had revised up and put together from the workshop in October, and we were ready then in January and February to roll that out, to explain it, to uh, um, you know, bring the, the biblical themes to light for everybody um, uh, in the, the Bible studies and the sermon series in the first uh, couple of months of the year. Then uh, we did something else for Lent and Easter, and now we're back at the uh, Natural Evangelism series. Um, we had concern that the word evangelism was scary to people, and uh, so we uh, rebranded it as natural storytelling. And so we're just on the second week of that now. Our Bible studies and our sermons are talking about how everybody has a story, and our story uh, intersects with uh, Jesus' story of the cross and the empty tomb. And uh, uh, if we can learn how to naturally tell our stories, um, especially the story of how God has made a difference in our life, uh, we might be able to do some good for some other people around us. So that is um, uh, kind of where Eastern Heights is in the... Uh, seasons of discovery process. Um, our strategic plan kind of flowed out of writing this mission and vision statement, and, and we had a small group then that, that said, okay, based on what we uh, want to accomplish, what are the specific teams that we're going to need to do that? And so on your handout, it's got teams one through six on the front side, and then on the back, seven through 16. These are just examples of the teams and the, the people that are leading those teams. Um, and uh, so do you have questions right now about our implementation of this? Yes. Uh, what were some of the difficulties in, that you experienced in this with, with your own congregation in terms of adopting or accepting this new approach? And then how did you overcome those obstacles? You know, maybe I'm just, uh, you know, in, in a denial or something, but I don't remember a lot of, uh, you know, pushback or opposition to this. The, the congregation had already decided to do this you know, major capital fund effort to try and get us in a financial position where we would be able to move forward. And it just seemed like it was a no-brainer. Uh, uh, I didn't you know, really hear any, any pushback. Probably the, the greatest barrier was to get people to understand that um, we were actually gonna you know, start doing some things differently. You know? And uh, we're still in the midst of that. 
you know, that, uh, you know, some folks tend to just kind of settle back into the way we've normally done them, uh, done things, and so they, um, uh, I think, are starting to see now, especially with these teams that are, are, uh, are beginning their work, that we're sort of shifting the way we do things, you know, it's no longer, you know, elect a board of education and elect a board of evangelism to do these things, but we're we're moving to this kind of work group uh, sort of thing. So uh, the way we I'm dealing with that as a leader is just to try to patiently keep uh, you know um, the the mission vision out in front of people and to to work all of our staff members. We all have specific teams that we're working with, and so we're trying to equip them and uh, encourage them to, to get moving in their work, so, yeah. Did your, did your church initially have an inward focus mentality, or were they kind of already had outreach focus mentality? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I don't think we were a lot different than most 70-year-old churches. You know, I think we were pretty inwardly focused, uh, we, uh, due to the circumstances of our, our ministry, uh, you know, about eight years ago, the Lutheran school, K through eight school that we were involved with and, and had, you know, grades in our building closed. And when that happened, uh, you know, that caused us to to start questioning and, and looking out, we ended up, you know, converting the space. We had, you know, four or five classrooms that we were able to convert. We had a small daycare house next to the church, and uh, and we had a small preschool in a portable building. But when the school space became available, we, um, you know, expanded and we we affiliate actually with the Open Arms Institute which is sort of a synod-wide, um, you know, identifiable name we pay to, uh, to utilize that open arms name. And uh, it, uh, uh, you know, we started the, the early childhood center and that ministry. And so to answer your question, I think that the church was starting to at least look outward in, in some ways, in some respects already, you know, but this was a way to uh, organize it. This is a way that uh, we add some accountability and uh, we uh, can evaluate how we're doing as we go along and try to, to focus on the things that are most important to help us get there. So, yeah, that's, that's a good question, though. I hadn't really thought about where we were in terms of, of the inward focus versus some outward focus, I guess. Yes. My question was a different tack on it. Um, <clears throat> what, what do you believe is the most radical change you've Two made so things. far in how you conduct your church business or services or whatever? And, and again, what was the reaction to that? Well, the, you know, the, the first radical change was, you know, the, the closing of the elementary school and going to this early childhood model, um, you know, and, you know, there was some, uh, you know, concern and pushback and, and fear that, uh, 
you know, that would not be a, a self-sustaining ministry and was going to be, a, you know, a drain on the church and that sort of thing, too. But uh, um, the um, changes that we've gone through have been, you know, somewhat gradual. Uh, we've been able to uh, um, make some staff transitions and, uh, and we are... Uh, um, our new um, music director has been able to develop some changes in terms of just strengthening our, our worship and, and music in, in all different styles. And we, we do three different services on Sunday morning and then a fourth one on, on Monday evening. So we've got, uh, you know, challenges there. But um, most of those, there, I can't think of any you know, real radical shift or change for us um, except in this you know, new empowerment sort of thing that, uh, you know, and, and that's a little too soon to, to see how, uh, you know, how that's going to go. But um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. Thank you, Dan, for uh, passing out these little booklets. I just wanted you to get a little example of some tools that we've used and, and tried. The, the one that's kind of red, white, and blue, the little people and the target in the middle, uh, that one is our strategic plan. And uh, I told you earlier we had you know, identified you know, kind of four targets, families with children, and that would be younger children, especially those kids that are we have about 90 children, I think, in our uh, uh, preschool and uh, child development program. Um, families with students, um, that would be um, kind of the middle school, high school kids. And we, we have a, a Wednesday evening program for those students. Uh, singles and starters, that's a target group that kind of emerged from our visioning uh, weekend that we really feel based on the demographic data that uh, Phil uh, you know provides for us through the district in our community we're really missing the singles and starters and then uh, older adults part of our um, set free um, capital fund effort uh, funded uh, like a 14-passenger bus with a wheelchair lift on it, and we've been able to transport people to and from church, but we also found the need for bringing word and sacrament ministry and bringing Bible study to various senior living centers. So for that target, the older adults um, were... Uh, heading out into the community. We've got four different places where we're doing um, the one closest to us where we're at every week, and some of the other ones are just once or twice a month. Uh, but we're bringing, you know, worship, and, uh, and that's been another uh, uh, blessing of having uh, um, a musician on staff. Um, uh, I was talking to Dr. Menneke earlier, one of his uh, former students, Josiah Bodie is our uh, music director, and he's able to go with us or with the teams, whether it's me or the other pastor or a DCE, to go out and bring music and worship in these uh, various care centers. So 
that's how we're working on that. But you can see in this strategic plan, we've got it organized with worship goals, building goals. The uh, middle part of it has uh, the vision, connecting people to God through faith in Jesus Christ, and then has the worship, service, building, Christian education, things with these various little teams that uh, will help carry out the strategic plan. And then the last part of the booklet has the Christian education uh, goals and the service goals. And then on the very back, you've got the, the mission and vision, which is what we basically developed thanks to that vision day. We had a similar document to this. I mean, the, the mission at the top, I mean, that's just basically the Great Commission. Go make disciples of all nations, connect people to God through faith in Jesus Christ, and then um, we sort of reorganize the lower part of this to, to focus around our targets, uh, the older adults, families with children, families with students, singles and starters. So um, that is sort of our strategic plan. Questions about any of that? Yes? Right, it was just a shrinking school. It was East St. Paul Lutheran School. It was uh, run by our church along with our Savior's Lutheran and Bethlehem Lutheran. And uh, yeah, it just declining enrollment. And, uh, and then you say you have about 90 preschools which are not all part of the church congregation but also just a community. Yeah, there's probably 10 of them maybe from member families. The rest are just from the community, yep. And as far as the age breakdown of the church, would you consider your membership mature or a little bit of everything? Or? Uh, yeah, you know, it's uh, a 70-year-old congregation, you know, so we still have a few people. I don't have any charter members left, but uh, some folks from the early years uh, are still there in their 90s and, and 80s. But um, uh, then um, we um, have some young families and, uh, and, and kids as well. So it's a, it's a mixed age group, I guess, yeah. It's, it's a, yeah, like any uh, LCMS church, you know, we are. So, going from this inward focus, which I think many churches are, to this more of the mission outward focus, was your church in jeopardy if you didn't change? I think so, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it wouldn't be hard for... Uh, you know, somebody that's good with numbers and statistics to draw some trend lines and say, we're going to come to the end here if, if uh, something doesn't change, yeah. And, and your membership was aware of this and they were behind the changes? Right, yeah. The, I think they responded to that because they, you know, uh, we had talked before about the life cycle of a, of a congregation, and, and Phil Johnson is real good, and the district has, has given us good um, uh, kinds of resources to be able to say, most churches are like ours, you know, and they grow, and, and then they start declining, and unless there's uh, 
intervention of some sort. Uh, so I guess that's what uh, has sparked a little interest to say, hey, if we do something now uh, about this, we may not keep sliding down in all these statistics that would ultimately lead to the death of the congregation. I certainly could see it, but I, I'm not sure. You know, we, we tried to communicate that, and the fact that people responded, I think, uh, makes sense. And I, I hear that now from people, too, that they recognize that. So, yeah, you're welcome. All right. Anybody else? Yes, Don. I guess I have a multi part question. And you have a huge list of groups with leaders. And I'm curious to know what do you think is differentiation between all of these? Are there some older members? Are there middle aged members or newer members? One of the things that we have difficulty is getting our newer members or younger families involved on a consistent basis. Mm -hmm. And you have one, one heck of a lot of uh, groups. Yeah, with 16 different teams, right, we, we do, uh, and there is a variety of ages represented in there, um, you know, from the 60s down to the 20s, I guess. Um, but, um, so, yeah. Uh, the other part of my question was, how has your empowering process gone? Well, to allow it's hard, the, yeah. The, the controls that you did have. Right. To let go of that. Yeah, it's, and I, I think uh, Terry was right on when he said that was one of the hardest things to do is to release, uh, you know, ministry uh, uh, to others. And uh, so that's something that we're all working on. And uh, my, my staff members are, are very good at uh, continuing to remind me and try to hold me accountable uh, for those things uh, as well, too, you know. So, uh, yeah, Dan. We have a uh, leadership council, eight members. Um, it's starting to function a little bit more like a board of directors, um, but it's not really written that way. Our constitution and bylaws is written a little bit more um, on the kind of just the traditional church council and board model. We did one kind of an intermediate uh, change where we eliminated um, the election of all the various board members. We had five, have technically five administrative boards. They're responsible in the Constitution and bylaws for doing a lot of these things that these teams are, are working on now. But uh, we still elect uh, a director for, for each of these boards, and then we elect eight people on our leadership council. Um, but the boards are sort of in the process of being phased out. Like Terry said, um, it's a lot easier to change your governance, you know, kind of gradually and to the point where then people realize that the document needs to catch up with how we really practically are doing this. So uh, we have not addressed that 
Um, Do your board of directors is separate from your chairs of, of the board? Yep. Yeah. The 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 there's five board chairmen, I guess, and they do not sit on that uh, leadership council. Those are there's just there are four officers: a president, vice president, secretary, and treasurer, and four at-large members. So those eight people are the basic accountability for me. I'm the only staff member that that meets with them, and then I uh, um, direct the staff, and and the staff kind of works with and has been working with these board directors to create these various work groups, but going into seasons of discovery and seeing the need to implement this strategic plan has given us the opportunity to say, you know, maybe we didn't need five standing boards, but we need, at this point, 16 work groups. Many of these are going to complete their work, and those folks will be released to go on to other work groups and, and other things. So, yeah. Yes? Steve, as a follow-on to that question, so in this booklet with the people standing around the target, um, it uses the word staff leader in front of every group's name, so staff leader, staff leader, staff leader. Those are the paid staff. Yeah, those are the those are those those are paid staff. Michelle is our our early childhood director, you know, and um, great, thank you. That's yep. what I really look for. Yep, yep. Tim Germain is our DCE. Um, you know, Chuck Fenton and I are the pastors. Um, yeah, Geneva is uh, um, administrator. So we. Um, are they all full-time staff or part-time staff? The yeah the the DCE and I are full time. The early childhood director is full time. Others would be part time. Okay, yeah. thank you. Huh? Another question. Yes. Yes. How much our budget goes from July first through at the end of June? How much should we set aside budget wise as we start year one for seasons of discovery? My recommendation is to uh, talk to Phil Johnson because um, this has been a very economical process for us because the Minnesota South District has been involved in uh, Transforming Churches Network and, uh, and so uh, Terry has not really charged us for a lot. We've, we've bought books, put a few hundred dollars into books. You know, we, we spent some money to bring him here for the weekend. Um, but otherwise, the, the coaching that he provides and, and uh, really these materials, some of them we, you know, where there's a Bible study book like the People of Passion book or whatever, we've purchased the books. Uh, a lot of times the people in the class will throw in money to cover their book, you know, but it, uh, uh, a lot of the other materials are uh, downloadable and so we just print what we need and uh, um, and we, now if Minnesota South was not a partner with us in doing this, maybe, you know, the cost might go up, but uh, it's been very economical for our church at this point. So uh, get with Phil and uh, encourage him to continue that. Yeah, yeah. The strategic plan from October until January, I guess, basically. Three months? 
Still think it'd be longer. Yeah, it certainly could have been, you know, but we, we wanted to roll all this out and get going with this uh, after Christmas and into the January, February time frame. So, so we just kind of kept pushing it along. And uh, What's your plan for a, kind of a, the accountability piece and kind of just like measuring how things are going, like as you go forward and like on, I guess, the accountability, accountability of the governance teams and to the leadership teams? And kind of maybe a year out, just checking in to see how your plan is working. Like, is there any of that that has been discussed yet? Um, I think the two major places, I suppose, would be in our leadership council. It's always a part of our agenda to see how we're doing with the whole seasons of discovery thing. So that elected group has some uh, accountability uh, function. Um, uh, on a staff level, we're you know working on that weekly, and um, then um, with our coaching with with Terry every month, uh, he uh, you know lays out what we talked about last month and and where where are we now and uh, and what do we need to do next. So that's kind of been the main ways that that is working. And we, I mean, it looks like it's laid out in, a, in very unique way that you could tweak things and change things that are maybe not working or that could work in a little bit of a better way. Like exactly. Yeah, we want to be real Nimble, fluid right? on this to say we, you know, because, yeah, we're just, uh, uh, we know some things will change and, and, and that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I expect you know the answer to this, but when you first started, you were asking about the numbers of our congregations. How many people here are from what you would consider an urban church? Urban, yep. Okay, how many people are first or second green suburban? And then how about like outer suburban rural? Nobody. I, you know, we talked earlier about how I grew up real close to where your church is, and I remember that ability to have a diverse um, population, um, different, so there, when, when people went to church, they went to church to go to church, and I think where we are, people go to church to be entertained, and so transitioning our congregation into being an outreach-minded church would be difficult because we don't have anywhere to go. Where we, when we worship where you are, you can go a block and find something where you can do a huge impact on some sort of organization or community or whatever. So I guess I'm just kind of going through things in my head about how our outreach Yeah, our setting is unique in the, in the fact that we're this church, big church in the middle of uh, nowhere. We don't have yeah. a community. Right. So we're. So what are your community needs? So it's Blaine. Andover, East Bethel, our church is in the middle of the field between all of them. We don't have a town around us. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think Scott's trying to say, it's hard for us to figure out what's that community need that we can really latch on to. So that's what we got to bring about right. and get our head around. Well, where are your people coming from? Everywhere. All over. Well, I know, Keith, you said something important earlier when you talked to the, the county sheriff or whatever about what are the, the top needs or problems in your county, um, which were what to do with heroin and human trafficking, huh? 
you know. So there are needs, but maybe they're hidden, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, what are the, the needs? Uh, but, you know, part of this is to try to do community survey and, you know, starting with your own members that are coming from different places but all being attracted to your church, um, you know, you could survey those needs, I, I suppose, yeah. Try to figure out what, what the greatest needs are to address, yeah. This last little booklet is the job descriptions and that, uh, you know, goes along with the uh, strategic plan and the, uh, the various um, teams are just kind of laid out here with just a little overview of what their, their work is going to be. Some of these groups have already started working and, and some are, uh, this is just our season to get everything up and running now. I mean, this being Minnesota, we want to get people together in each of these 16 teams working now for a little bit and, and uh, get some things on the calendar to do because uh, next month uh, in May, we, you know, we usually have a, like a volunteer appreciation thing. We've got a lot of people in our church that volunteer in various existing teams uh, that are working. And uh, so we're going to not only recognize the people that are working, but we're making that Sunday sort of a sign-up day. So each of these 16 team leaders are going to be able to present uh, what their team is doing and give the folks in the pews an opportunity to say, I'd like to, to you know, get in onto your team. This is a, an area I'd like to work in. So, yes, Don. So you're, you're saying these are your teams, but you don't have additional we have the leaders we have the leaders at this point some of the teams are starting to flush out you know I know a few of these that have three or four people already um, on the team and once they um, you know these are not going to be necessarily like you know boards or committees that meet the, the third Tuesday of every month or whatever, they're work teams. So once they kind of define what they're going to do, they're just going to attract people to come and do that thing. What's your hope for the size of the teams? Are there going to be like two or three or four people at the most, probably? Unless they Depends on what the team is okay. and what the needs might be, I guess. Yeah, yeah. but. Um, yeah, that's a good good question, but it, I think it's going to vary. I mean, the one we've we're involved with, Hope for the Journey Home, which is a homeless shelter for Ramsey County and and uh, Eastern Ramsey and, and Washington County, and so that's a, a team we can use as many people as want to sign up for a shift and work at the homeless shelter. But uh, yeah, it's it's all going to vary, I guess. So. Yeah. Yes, sir. I don't know if you mentioned it earlier, but what's the size of Eastern Heights as a congregation? Um, we worship in the 190s usually. Um, we're kind of knocking on trying to break through the barrier of 200 a week, but um, we have to do multiple services to get to 200 people in any given week. Yeah. You know, so we, uh, um, you okay. know have the, the three on Sunday, but then we have the nursing home 
uh, care center services too that uh, are, are people that are worshiping each week too. So. Yeah, I was just, since the context was, based on the amount of people you already have engaged relative to what you're worshiping on the weekend, I mean, it looks pretty high. And do you feel that way? Do you feel like, wow, I've got a lot of my congregation engaged in this? Or do you feel like we're still really trying to get everybody going? Um, well, this is a blessing, uh, what we've got. You know, I, I think definitely, and uh, I think we can can build on that. So, uh, yeah. yeah, yes. Looking at different teams here, I don't really understand them, but like Sheridan's story team, run a program or do the members support the program to meet their goals, raise funds as needed. Um, it brought the question: Who decides when a team is disbanded? That's a good question, yeah. Right, right. I mean, some of them will be natural if they have a goal that they accomplish and it'll be done, but I mean, Sheridan's story is an ongoing program, you know, kind of like the homeless shelter. We choose to have a team to work together with that. I suppose if God would not give us any people of passion that want to jump up and be a part of that, then that particular thing would, would be... Uh, be shelved at that time. Yeah. But who, who makes the decision? I guess the that would probably be a staff sort of decision. We've been, our DC and I have been kind of directing and putting this together with the strategic planning team. That's a lay group. That that's the reason we have these 16 teams. Is this is what our after the workshop and we identified the needs in our community and what we thought we should and what we had the passion and the expertise to do, this seemed to match up, uh, you know, and so that's why we chose those. Um, so it's just, I guess, kind of a consensus. Yeah. Yes? So you've got these teams identified that are part of the strategic plan. Do you also have lots of other kind of organizations that, you know, have been there maybe for a long time, a sewing circle or a... Uh, whatever. I mean, do you have lots of other kinds of things that people are involved in, or did you really try to focus everybody into these strategic teams? There are some, you know, existing groups, uh, healthy groups. Many of them, like you say, are, are maybe a little more inwardly focused, although we've been trying to get all of our groups, whatever they are, to, to understand the mission and see their place in uh, uh, you know, in doing that. So even the, the craft group that makes, you know, centerpieces for a dinner or something to, you know, just reinforce them that they are, are uh, you know, beautifying and uh, uh, raising up the experience for guests and people that come. So, you know, it's, uh, um, so we've got some of those, you know. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Uh -huh. We really don't. That was never, you know, 70-year-old church. That was not part of our DNA, and we've never really had a, a you know, a staff member or anybody that's, that's focused very much on that. I mean, we have five or six different weekly Bible study opportunities, but as far as, you know, the expectation in some churches, you know, that are, are founded that way, a church of small groups, everybody 
is expected to, you know, to get into a small group, meaning kind of a Bible study care group. We, we do have a few of those going, um, and there's potential in these work teams that, you know, it kind of draws people with an affinity for something together, and uh, so. Yeah, no, actually, that's a really good idea. I like where yeah, that's going. Yeah, I, yeah. Always, I know my small group is always looking for opportunities for groups to serve or look, look for something to impact their community. I mean, they're all, all these say that they're looking for volunteers. So that was an interesting exactly. opportunity for yeah. those who are meeting together. Yeah, no, I like that piggyback idea. I hadn't thought of that. It's good. All right, are we running out of time, y'all? Or I mean, I think he said, what, one, 1.30? Okay, we got time for a few more questions, comments, wisdom, please. Did you, can you think of any, like, moments or moments where he said, wow, this is great, we're really getting it, we're really making a change? Or could you share any experiences like that that you and your congregation have had? Well, a year ago, was the first time that we decided not to have our traditional Easter egg hunt at our, our church. And uh, we you know, had been meeting down at Culver's restaurant for a Bible study group, and the manager said, hey, we're, we want to do a Easter egg hunt you know, right here at the restaurant, and you know, maybe you'd, our youth group would come down there for fundraisers and stuff, and he said, maybe you'd have some kids to help us. And, and we said, well, why don't we make this a joint event? And so in all their advertising, it was a joint Eastern Heights Lutheran Church and, and Culver's Restaurant uh, uh, Easter Egg Hunt. And uh, so they allowed us to you know, have our people there. We you know, brought all the eggs and filled them with candy and, and hid them. And then we had you know, craft tables for, for families to work on little things. And, uh, and then we had just other folks giving away um, you know, invitations to church and, and just uh, chatting up the people. And so we did that a year ago, and uh, uh, Sean and, uh, and his son Caleb came, and he was really interested in church, and uh, so he was invited to church, and he came, and he kept coming, and he uh, came to a new member class, and now he's got his his son in our Wednesday program, and he's a volunteer with that, and, and he was one of the people helping to run the Easter egg hunt for us uh, this year, just a year later. So, uh, um, you know, it's, it, there is some low-hanging fruit. There are some people out there that really are looking, and, uh, and another really great success story has been uh, the, the folks that are coming in on our bus that would never get to church. You know, many of them require the, the wheelchair lift and stuff to get them in the bus, and, and we've just been able to, uh, you know, to, to run that for both, our, I think, our early and late service. We've got people coming and going all morning long, and uh, they're, they're folks that are just so happy to be in church. They just are, are uh, um, so it's, it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Uh -huh. yeah. All right, are we done? I have one question. Okay, all right. My question, Terry was saying that a congregation, depending on the size, should probably your size or our size would have two, maybe three main focuses. What would you say your main focus 
Yeah, this was actually is a point of contention with us and Terry, because Terry, <laughs> Terry really thinks we have too many targets, um, you know, because we, we adopted this new target. We just said, we just, we got to do something about the singles and starters. Uh, we got a lot of, you know, small homes on the east side of St. Paul that, uh, you know, tend to be people just starting out. And uh, we have such a gap of folks, you know, in their, their 20s and 30s to try to reach out to. So we said we just, we need to do a few things at least to target that group. But we already had existing targets, things going really well with older adults and with families with uh, children, uh, with our uh, open arms uh, preschool and childcare. And, uh, and our kind of uh, middle and senior high age our DCE has built a strong Wednesday night program, so we've got, you know, 25, 30 kids that are there every Wednesday, too. So we said we have these three existing targets, and we just really want to add this fourth target. So uh, we'll uh, talk to me in a year or so, Don, and we'll see how that's going. But uh, um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I mean, Terry is wise about those things, and uh, so we, we might find, too, that we have to narrow our focus. But. We're blessed, yeah, yeah, we're blessed. All right, well, thanks for taking time to listen to this. If you've got questions for me, um, you know, you can just give me a call or an email and uh, blessings in your church. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cultivating Leaders. Um, some quick announcements here. We will be having our district convention floor committee meetings uh, this coming weekend on Saturday, May 5th. And uh, additionally, we'll have our convention workbook um, available next week, whether you are a delegate from your congregation or just someone interested in reading a little bit about what's happening with uh, some of the overtures that have come in, the candidates for the various offices and other convention happenings. So thank you for listening to Cultivating Leaders and may God bless your day.